millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, podcasts. Do we think Adam Buxton would sue me if I started using that as my opener? <laughs> Probably not. He seems pretty nice, eh? Speaking of nice, we have the amazingly nice and cool and kind and hilarious Caroline O'Donoghue at the Hot Mess Clubhouse this week. If this is your first time at the Clubhouse, we are a podcast that celebrates hilarious women. And this season is all about funny writers like Caroline. I'm your often annoying but mostly good-hearted host, Lucy Vine, and I'm delighted to be here gushing about Caroline, because she is excellent. Not only did she pen one of last year's most exciting novels, Promising Young Women, she's also behind my favourite award-nominated podcast, Sentimental Garbage. We talk about her podcast work as well as her writing, but we mostly discuss nonsense stuff like proposals at funerals, first snogs and having sweaty undertits. We didn't talk about her two upcoming books, Scenes of a Graphic Nature and All Our Hidden Gifts, coming out in the next couple of years, but you should absolutely definitely buy those anyway. Okay, that's enough. Enjoy! It's good to be in the clubhouse, yeah. the figurative clubhouse there right no, it's now. it's not figuratively. You are in a clubhouse with me now. <laughs> okay. Anyway, how's your day been so far? Well, I've got a raging period. Great. Yeah, so I'm, I'm that good. kind of mix between both, like, pale and red at the same time. Oh, I get so, such bad flushes when I'm on my bed. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you feel like there's just, like, you're just a landscape of grey with yeah. splodges of red on top and just, so um, nice, yeah. do you know that bit, that kind of, like, the, I'm going to call it the equator of the body, where right. it's, like, that line kind of where you fold your stomach kind of thing. Right, yeah. Um, that's just a clammy line all yeah. the time. Well, mine is anyway, because I've yeah. got more lines there <laughs> than you do. But do, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, you, the trunk gets tra- very clammy. Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? Just the undertit. Yeah, well. yeah, everywhere, yeah. Under tit, between that area, yeah. between like under the tit yeah. to the sort of top of the leg, yeah. all just very hot, sweaty. Yeah, but it's also in your bones, you feel very cold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but your skin is very hot. It's been a it's bad great one. being a woman, isn't it? It's been a bad one. Yeah. I've been trying to uh, track my cycles a bit more in the last couple of years. I'm a natural cycles that. now. 
It's oh, very weird. The app thing. The app thing, the thermometer app. So do you know what your cycle is? Do you actually? Yeah, for the first time ever. Yeah. See, because I thought I'd finally figured it out, and I've got quite a long cycle. It's like thirty-three days, mm-hmm. and I'd finally figured it out. And then this last month, it turned up on day twenty-seven, and I'm really fucked so off about it. Yeah. Fucking trying to mess with me just because I'm like I finally figured you out. Period. Yeah. Now it's just doing it to mess with me. Yeah, it's it's like an actor who's been doing some kind of roles for years and years, and like you know what, I'm going to do a character role in a children's film. <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's exactly what it is. What a great analogy. It's Timothy Spall <laughs> in a children's film. <laughs> But I'm really happy to be here. This is the first bit of um, really official happy. business I've done all day because I've been so miserable about myself. Oh. I just wanted to be honest, you know? Yeah, great. Straight That's where we're at. Oh, well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm glad I'm to gonna... see your lovely, wholesome face. Thank you. Yeah. It is really wholesome. It is. <laughs> so we're going to start with the Clubhouse initiation. All oh, right, okay. Which is actually just uh, like a quick fire get to know you round. Mm. But it also doesn't have to be quick because we're like super okay. chilled. I'm very sluggish. Yeah, yeah, I'm very periody. So <laughs> I'm just periody all month round. So sure. I'm with you there. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favourite swear word? Oh, uh, cunt. Great. Yeah. Good choice. How old were you when you had your first tongue kiss? Oh. As the kids call it. A tongue kiss. <laughs> Oh, uh, about 13. Okay. And I think the, I was the, the oldest of my group of mates. Okay. I was kind of one of the last women standing, do you know what I mean? Like frigid, yeah, exactly. Or um, in Ireland, we always say frigid. Oh, and I never the same. Yeah, same thing, but it's, uh, but it's just oh. the accent with the frigid. Oh, okay. I, I don't know why. It's yeah. definitely a T and not just an accent. Definitely a T. Okay. I don't know. I never made the connection until I was much older of frigid oh. and frigid. You just thought we were saying it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. But anyway, um, I wanted to get out of the way because I didn't want to be the last one. I think it was down to two girls, do you know what I mean? It was me or the other one. It's that real, like, you know, looking at each other from across a Western... Yes. Um, So I literally just went up to somebody at a disco and just snogged them. Someone Someone you knew? No, just someone whose name that I never knew and I never saw them again. But I just wanted to get out of the way. And I'm really sad that I sort of buckled to that pressure. Nah, I don't think kissing's that big a deal. Yeah. I mean, did he put a finger or anything? <laughs> what, my ass? Or what? <laughs> was there a finger anywhere? No, it was just like, it was just like about ten seconds of okay. that. And no, then, and then we just w- walked our separate directions and oh, I never found out. He didn't even get his name? No. Oh, that's sad. Was it any good? No, of course not. Kissing doesn't get good until you're like 15 at least. Surely, yeah. Yeah. I'm still waiting for it. (laughs) Um, Who is your favourite drag queen? Oh, Jesus. That's a huge question. I promise you no difficult questions, but I thought that you could... No, just because there's so many. Um, But actually, you know, uh, my favourite drag queen is Candy Warhol, who is a cork drag queen, who is actually my drag mother. Shut up. Because she put me into drag last week. How long did it take? Three hours. And I'm not oh, even padded or singed or anything. And you're an actual woman. so she I'm an actual woman. woman. <laughs> it was for um, an article. I pitched sure. an article because she is the mother of Cork's um, only drag family. And so I pitched an article interviewing her and her putting me into drag. And um, what was interesting was like, I assumed that my drag personality or my drag character would be a heightened version of myself. But um, what it turned out to be was this whole other character. That's like it's, so exciting. You can see from the pictures, it's kind of Dark like a hair. really ramped up Vivian Lee in, oh in God, the wind like yes. it's like black hair so were you feathers. involved like, were you saying no I want to have this colour hair and or no. did it just turn out that way um, she emailed me beforehand being like what kind of drag queens do you love what kind of style do you love and I was like oh I kind of like kind of grunge but I also like kind of southern gothic and stuff and then we ended up with this Vivian Lee type character that we call the Countess have you ever got off with someone at a funeral what I mean 
Sorry. James Tuck. Uh, I'm sure I've been to a funeral with my boyfriend and then kissed him later that day. Maybe. Disrespectful garbage fire. Oh, I do. Oh, my God. I do have a story about this, though. Okay, go on then. Um, So, uh, about two years ago, my uh, boyfriend of five years, his grandmother died. And, you know, we went to the funeral and obviously very, very sad. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I knew that the church that we're going to is a very, very small church in Essex that you have to like cross a bridge to get to, and it's very beautiful. And I know that this church means a lot to him. Um, and he's kind of said to me before, and he's not like a sentimental person, but he was like, "Oh, you know, all the men in my family have gotten married in this church and stuff." And, uh, and as we were leaving the church, he was like, "Hey, hang back a second. And I was like, "Okay." And he was like, "You know, um, my my granddad's actually buried." behind the church she went if we go see him just the two of us and I was like sure and I was like oh fuck is he gonna propose now oh god cause like, cause like okay nice if he does I suppose but also like why is he doing this now we're gonna steal the thunder from his nan who's dead she's gonna hate me she'll haunt me whatever and I was like running panic stations in my head and then we just like went to the grave saw the grave and then walked back and then I was really furious <laughs> Did you tell him? Oh, I did. I told him about six months later. Was <laughs> it was funny and not like, so what, you were at my nan's funeral thinking only of yourself. <laughs> Maybe that was a gang of proposal. Yeah. Outraged. <laughs> um, what's the worst sext you've ever received or indeed sent? Do you know what? This is very yeah. embarrassing for me, actually. Why? This is almost more embarrassing because um, it's something I've questioned a lot. It's like, I don't, I've never really sexted anyone. It's not embarrassing. Or no, no, it is because like, I don't find no, it sexy. No, and maybe I wouldn't either, but I just, um, I've obviously, like, been with them for five years, but before that, I was yeah. with, uh, I had several boyfriends, I had dating and once. everything, um, and I'd in generally had a pretty good experience dating, but I've yeah. never had, obviously, no one's ever thought, like, do you know who I'm going to send a picture of my dick to? Karen, I don't know who. And I just, I, sometimes I worry I don't ignite obviously... that in men. No, it's... no, no, you don't date twats, basically. I think that's maybe, what it is. Maybe that's it. I mean, I have dated some twats, but, like, maybe... I don't know, I just... Some people like, really get off on it. I just find it too amusing. In fact, all sexy things I just find too amusing. Yeah. I, I, this is why I can never be, like, a romance novelist. Because <laughs> I just, just laugh about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I wanted to ask you about your family. Um, yeah. You are Irish? <laughs> That's a guess. Do you think? No, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I'm still trying to figure out. I've, I've uh, signed up to 23 and me sure. <laughs> to find yeah, out what my ancestry out, yeah. is. What that whole thing but is. But I have a hunch. <laughs> so I grew up in Cork, which is um, a lovely city in the south of Ireland. Um, it's kind of the second biggest city after Dublin. Um, yeah, and I'm the youngest of four kids. Yes. I've got my oldest sister, Jill, and two parents. And Catholic. Yeah, but, like, Catholic, um, my mom's been saying to me, she's like, why are you always going on about being Catholic? Is like, we weren't really religious, and we weren't, and we aren't, but there's a, I always find that, um, especially when talking to English audiences or English people in general, that, like, um, there's a secularism to British Protestantism, which, I, I know you're Catholic as well, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, that, like... Well, they, it was, they, very much lapsed. Yeah, exactly, very much lapsed. Like, I went through the, did you go through the three C's? Which is uh, confession. Oh, okay. Confession, communion, confirmation. Oh yes, I did those. Yes. Yeah, all the good ones, all oh, the all the best, all the weird trauma-inducing. Did, did you things. find confession quite stressful? Because I was always like, what? How much yeah. do I actually? I know you're supposed to tell everything, but I was like, but do I tell them how yeah. angry I am with my siblings about the remote control? I remember my first confession. I was 
six. Yeah. And, oh, um, God, it's so young to be saying so You're going to go to hell. You need to go and cleanse your soul in a small room yeah. with an old man. Like, explaining original sin to a six-year-old. Oh, oh, is so, And people are like, how do we explain, like, gay people or trans people to children? It's like, how do you explain original sin to a five-year-old? <laughs> you know? Um, I made my five-year-old niece watch RuPaul's Drag Race yesterday. Yeah. And she went home and put it on. And my sister just heard all these fucks from the other room, and she was like, "So yeah, I hear you." And she, um, India, my niece, was like, "Oh yeah, I watch it at Lucy's all the time." Oh and I was like, God. "Okay, I watch, cool, we Lucy. watched it together one time, and you were so into it." But it was, I think, it's really important because yeah. they're very much like, um, "But is that a woman?" Like, yeah, no, it, it, give, it gives them a nice like yeah. we're going part for the point, but, but like, it's um, okay for everything, you know. It's a nice. What I found with this is a total segue. Sorry, um, I just asked you. But what I love about RuPaul's Drag Race, and I know there are a lot of queens um, who are critical of what it's done to the kind of economy of drag, which is interesting. And also, you know, RuPaul's personal politics aren't always great. But what is great about RuPaul's Drag Race is that um, because they themselves always refer to each other as she, and like you literally see someone like Money Exchange or Bob's Drag Queen, like these like very huge, like very masculine black men. (laughs) The drag. Yeah, exactly. But they're referring to each other as she all the yeah. time, and it's like it makes you sort of like break down, like yeah. oh, what? It, like it makes you, if you're not up on like trans issues, and lots of people aren't, and they're kind of people are trying to learn and get there. Um, it's like it makes you appreciate how fluid these things actually are. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think it's like a, a, such a great intro into yeah. that kind of community. Oh, I definitely think so, and just kind of them realizing that. Because they have, they are in such like a, a white middle class straight area and world yeah. that the idea of actually seeing you know because it confuses them that oh men and men or women and women and so they need yeah. that sort of world opening up to them I think yeah personally. so I'm there to confuse my nieces <laughs> sorry so confession at six I, and oh, I remember it being um, like I was worried that the thing that I actually thought was the worst thing I'd ever done was too bad to tell the priest. Do you and remember what it was? Yes, it was that my, like, neighbour had had a birthday party and I got bored, so I left. And then, like, no one could find me because I was this, like, spacey yeah. kid who was always wandering around. And so no one could find me. And then my mum, like, found me basically wandering in the street and she was like, you can't, she was, like, so freaked out. She was, like, you can't do this. Like, you can't. First of all, it's rude to the host. Second of all, we had no idea where you were. And it was, like, it had been very recently... To, the, to going for my first confession and I still felt very guilty over it because she'd been so worried and she probably laid it on a bit thick yeah but no, well, that whatever is like out, yeah, yeah just freaking out and I remember thinking that like the, if I told the priest that he would think I was the worst thing in the world so I just said it's like oh I like kicked my dog and at that point I didn't have a dog that's way worse so I, <laughs> oh yeah way worse what is wrong with you also I invented a dog we as of yet did not have oh. and it was like it was like this like oh, I had built this like raft of lies that I was floating to hell on <laughs> So you grew up in Ireland, um, and then what were you like as a teenager? To be honest, my parents, when I ever said that I was kind of naughty or rebellious, they're like, no, you weren't. See, it's probably, again, this Catholic thing where you have yeah. disproportionately in your memory thought of things maybe. being awful. The difference was, um, so my, my brother, who was 18 months older than me, he was a proper, like, rabble-rouser. Like, I kicked out a couple of schools, like, a proper, like, you know bad boy or whatever <laughs> and giving my parents no end of stress and my older brother again was also quite wild so comparatively I was just you know smoking weed like 
cutting class, like your standard thing. I wasn't actually causing trouble. I was just being negligent and a bit cheeky. So no one really cared. It was like, you know what? This is very low level. <laughs> like, yeah. that's just, this is fine. You Compared know? Compared to her brothers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and like, I remember someone said to me, it was actually a therapist, said, um, if the first thing that you ever remember hearing about yourself was how easy you are. That's the first thing I ever heard. Really, right. was like, okay, the boys are a nightmare. My sister Jill had diabetes, which was quite, you know, hard to regulate at that time. Yeah. Um, at least Caroline's easy. At least Caroline's easy. And I remember hearing that, and like, I feel like now I'm facilitating your whole life. Yeah, like, being sure a master. Everybody's okay and being, yeah. being the only one that won't cause any stress. Yeah, you very bad. To talk to other people when you are having an issue, then because you're like, I can't put my issues on other people. Very much that. Um, and go, say when I go to my my boyfriend about things or whatever, or uh, I'm like, um, hi, I'm feeling um. Uh, like I have depression but don't worry I've made an appointment oh, at a therapist yeah. basically I come it's fine, it's fine. everything's okay you don't need to do anything yeah but just so you know I will be on Thursdays between 3 and 4 I will be doing this um, so like, that's it that's it now goodbye let's <laughs> never speak of this again yeah if you see me crying in the corner don't even talk to me yeah so yeah. this is the very familiar so what happened after school then luckily university in Ireland at that time was incredibly cheap it was like a thousand quid a year we fucked that up now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what the, I think the fees are, are larger now, but they're not crazy. Yeah. They're like, and um, luckily Cork is a great city and it is, it does have a really good university. So I was able to live at home for most of uni. Right. Um, what did you study? Uh, English. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I had the privilege of being able to go to these quite uh, expensive private schools, but I was really doing really, really badly at them. Like it was D's and C's all the time. And as well, like these were, like all girls schools where it was incredibly high achieving and there was like people sort of having panic attacks all over the place that they weren't getting like A, a stars or whatever and there was like I was barely scraping a pass and I felt really inadequate and I dust off school a lot well, I was like, going to say did you feel like you were trying or was it that you were like I will never be able to do this so I'm just not even going to try I think it was a mix of both okay. I was like I would, I would go through spurts of really trying mm-hmm. and then I felt like I would or I had already been written off as an idiot, so I just and also I remember it's actually a very like upsetting thing that happened where I am um, really like knuckled down for a while. I was like, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna turn a corner, this is gonna be it. And um I really swatted up for this French vocab test and it was like one of those proper like, oh the teacher just recites some words and you write them in French kind of thing, right. uh, and then you're scored at a twenty at the end. Not like a big test, just like a weekly test. And I was about 16, and I got, like, 19 out of 20. Wow. And I was, like, delighted with myself. I'd never, like, that never happened to me before. And I was so happy. And I was called up at the end of class. Um, And the teacher told me that, like, clearly she wasn't going to mark it because I clearly cheated. You're kidding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that day, I had my first (laughs) ever panic attack. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, I did. I've never talked about that, actually, since it happened, I don't think. The way we treat kids. Yeah. To disillusion a child like that and to put that on a child. Oh, that's really upsetting. Um, I think then when I went to university, because English degrees are, like, so essay-based and just, like, Here's a book. What did you think of it? Yeah, and I was like, "What? Like that's <laughs> like this is my life for the next three years? Yeah, it's incredible!" And I immediately got like pretty high marks, and it was like incredible confidence. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B two B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B two B either. That's why if you're a B two B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. 
That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The plus side of being a teenager in a city like that is that it's like this lovely small city where you can kind of be able to walk or get the bus anywhere. And like I was in bands and like I just had a really great time outside of school. But I think inside of school I found, I just found the actual education part really hard. Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. So then how did you end up in journalism? What happened after school? What you well, um, yeah, well, no, it was like one of those things where writing was always the only thing I was good at. And... Um, my parents were super, super supportive. I remember coming home when I was seven and being like, I got like a star on like, a sh- like an essay, a short story I'd written about a tree. <laughs> <laughs> it was called The Magic Tree. Um, it was Isn't a magic tree. Enid Blyton? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember like from then on, because my dad was quite arty and my mom is a huge reader. Right. They were always very much like, oh, um, and this is Caroline, and she wants to be a writer, and she wants Aww, to be... They were always like, that's like, lovely. Yeah, that's who you are now. And it was, like, really, really encouraged. We loved well, so it. So you were, were like me, that sort of role in the family. I don't know about you, but I wrote a lot of things down instead of... Yeah. So I had, yeah. like, a diary, and I would write and write and write in a corner and read and write and read. Totally. So it's sort of drilled into you, isn't it? Being yeah. In that role. I think as well, when, yeah, when you're the youngest, you're the natural storyteller. Because um, everything interesting happened before you were born and you're all hearing about it. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> right? I'm certainly aware of that. Yeah. And also, um, it's that thing of like you're constantly trying to like speak up at the dinner table and everyone's talking over you. And so you end up just sort of writing things to yourself instead. Yeah. Yeah. Sad. It is sad. I mean, it's, it's just so sorry for us. I know. It's hard done by. It's really like depressing. Like, no, no, no. It's a very talking, guys. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, yeah, so then you were always writing, always writing. So you just sort of yes. always thought you would be a writer. Yeah, no, always did. I had a lot of confidence in that area. Um, yeah, I remember I had a blog going. Um, what happened was I lived with, like, my best mate, who's still my best mate now, um, and uh, we just, we both worked in HMV, and, like, HMV was, like, the only... The only, like, CD shop in like, of any measurable size in the 
province. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it was like it, it, we had a weird kind of cultural cachet. <laughs> I mean, that's so sad. But it was like the objectively coolest I've ever been. Like it's like HMV was amazing. Yeah, and I worked there for three years, and like it was a kind of place where like you know the local radio station would often just drop in sort of gig tickets and stuff, and um, we were just out all the time. It was fabulous, and um, then that suddenly ended because all of my friends were a couple of years older than me, um, and I was living with all of them. They all either emigrated or had to get real jobs, um, and then I had nobody left to live with. And then I was my final year of university, and I had not made any friends in my actual classes, um, so I was like suddenly felt very very alone. And then because of that, I started my blog, and that well, I remember that being the way that like I remember because it, it was early sort of Facebook and seeing all my friends like in Australia and Canada and like. England and stuff doing all this great stuff this was my way of being like okay you're doing stuff but I'm like making jokes over here and I'm like <laughs> reviewing like albums and stuff on my blog and yeah and I remember feeling like okay this is like my thing now and then eventually um I had a friend whose sister worked at the Cork News which was the local paper and she said oh do you want to you obviously like music do you want to review gigs so I so I used to used to like review gigs in exchange for free tickets and then I was just like oh maybe journalism and then eventually when that year ended I was also keen to immigrate because at that point you know I hadn't made any new friends <laughs> still <laughs> um, friendless <laughs> yeah I was still friendless but I had this blog and it was kind of all I was living for um, and I was like okay well I'm gonna make a full-time thing of this and I applied for the best for film internship which was then run by um, Natasha Hodgson and the late John Underwood and um, I moved there did this internship for six weeks and those people became my best friends oh. and everyone who did that internship became my best friend and like the root of everyone I am close to now came out of that internship and it was just the best thing I've done in my life Are you going to stay in journalism because you obviously have these two fantastic podcasts that um, got oh, Thank you so much I mean, You've been on both of them <laughs> So you kind of have to So that's that. why they're brilliant yeah. obviously <laughs> But um, do you want to describe them? For, first of all, the yeah. School for Dumb Women and then more recently, Sentimental Garbage. Describe sure. them for my mum and dad who are listening. Okay, so are they going to listen to No, of course they not. Won't. Of course I they won't. Maybe there'd be two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, School for Dumb Women is a podcast I do with the comedian Alexandra Haddo and the producer Hannah Barrell. Um, and it is basically a general knowledge comedy podcast where we like teach each other about things we've learned in a kind of a half-arsed you know, I've read half a Wikipedia page sort of way. <laughs> like, there is some really interesting stuff on it. I've learned some great stuff, but it's mostly um, an excuse for the three of us to talk shit because we used to work together at the pool. And once we all stopped working at the pool, it was like, oh, we need a way to see each other. Because you know how, like, when you have friends from old jobs that you love and then you don't work there never anymore. Them again. <laughs> you never see them again. Or you end up just meeting up to talk about people you worked with and, like, oh, yes, and the conversation never gets new. Oh, that editor's gone on to do that. Yeah, and then you end up having this really, like, sad, desperate sort of, like, wine nights that you allegedly look forward to and then you actually have nothing to say. And then everybody bails. Yeah, and they're still, like, my best friends, so it's great. Well, that's amazing. And then Sentimental Garbage, Sentimental Garbage. Some incredible, incredible guests like me. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about me. I mean, like yeah. Marianne Keys and Joanne Harris and Jill Mantle. You've had some amazing people. Yeah, I've, I've really loved it. Um, so, uh, Sentimental Garbage is um, a chiclet podcast that's just um, 
Yeah, me inviting somebody on to talk about some chiclet they like. It's quite a simple concept. But the reason I did it was actually because I, I was rereading Rachel's Holiday. Right. And then after that, I kind of realized, I was like, God, this is amazing what Marion Keys did with the um, with the Walsh sisters, which you and I have talked about extensively. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> on, I think our second episode of The Middle Garbage. And um, I was like, oh, God, I'd love to read someone really getting into the whole Walsh sister dynamic in the way that people talk about, like, the Brontes or, like, you know, the marches with little women and I kind of looking and looking and like nobody ever had and I was like oh I feel really like mm, I feel really itchy now I really want that content and I was like oh well I could make that content <laughs> you could and you did yeah that's absolutely amazing yeah. but um, I also wanted to ask you about dumb women um, did you ever feel afraid when you uh, seems a bit melodramatic you so afraid but like you do you guys do talk about all of these things that women are not supposed to talk about yeah. like I mean we've already talked about period but like who we are quite disgusting. Do you get much shit, basically, um, from people? Never. No, really? Never. We have never really gotten any feedback, any negative feedback. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, we've had people have been like, I think, emailing me, like, oh, you kind of got that wrong or okay. whatever. But you Occasionally. Never, I suppose men wouldn't even listen. So they're not there no. to be like, let me just correct you about from, some status. I think for the most part, we've had overwhelmingly positive responses from people yeah. about the kind of grosser stuff. Because it's important. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, it <gasps> no, feels important to me. It does. It's never really yeah. talked about it. It felt, I mean, the, with my first book, Hot Mess, like, um, she talks about period poo. Like, the oh fact that you God. get kind of diarrhea when you're on your period. Well, you do feel very slim. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a sign. It's just not something, like, it was something yeah. that I only realised. I just thought it was something that happened to me mm. for a long time. And then eventually there was, and I kind of fought to have that mentioned in the book because yeah. I was like, people d- don't ever kind of, and that yeah. is the thing. That, that people, people talk to you about. Talk to me. Of like, course I didn't do. even know it was a thing. And, yeah. to, like, and, and wow, that bit sort of thing. I had, a, I had, I had like a similar-ish scene in my book where someone's having their period, but it's one of those periods where you're like, it's so heavy that she's kind of being like, is this a mess? Do you know, but, but not in the kind of a totally grim way, just you know how like everyone's had that weird abstract thought where oh, they're yeah. like, and that thing of like, um, she's like reaching into herself and she's pulling out kind of clots and oh, stuff. Yeah, I remember. And I've had so many people talk to me about that scene mm. and like she's also in a McDonald's bathroom and she's had Amazing. to wind like the really cheap horrible tissue paper around her knickers and she's sort of <laughs> walking like the Lone Ranger and it's like it's quite a dark scene because she's genuinely considering whether she's miscarried but also yeah. she's walking like the Lone Ranger it's like that fucking the tragic comedy of being a woman isn't it like oh, yeah. you have to fucking laugh about but it but let's talk about your wonderful book then Promising Young Women oh yeah it's now out on paperback it is, and it looks so good. Oh, it's so I'm gorgeous. So, Do you have I much say in, like... I have none. I have no input. Would you like to describe what it's about? For yeah. Um, yeah, it's about a girl. Um, her name is Jane. She works in the advertising industry, and she's kind of turning 26 on the day we meet her, and she's recently broken up with her boyfriend, and she's kind of like, meh, quarter-life crisis, think they're bad. <laughs> um, sorry, I've lived with Jane for a long time now, so I'm just so, like, I'm sort of over her shit a bit. Yeah. No, but, so we meet her at, at this point in her life, and, um, um, she's kind of feeling that shiftlessness of like having lived in London a few years, not having any really close relationships, feeling like, what, what am I doing? I'm at this job where like, I'm not good at it. No one really cares what I do here, but in a bad way, you know? And then she um, kind of 
falls into this relationship with her boss and that starts because he thinks she's incredibly talented and he kind of really supports her at work and all this stuff and it becomes this sort of meshing of um, a thing of oh am I getting ahead at work because I'm sleeping with this guy am I getting at work because I'm really good at it is it at both and like kind of the anxiety of that sends her into this sort of spiral and he kind of reveals himself to be more of a big bad bastard than he is yeah how did you come to write it? I wrote an article about the relationship between older men and younger women and then yeah. suddenly you know how it is online where like you could be writing for ages and ages and years and years and have no one care and then suddenly everyone suddenly. cares at once and then somebody approached me saying you should write a book and then I was like oh well one person okay. who works in the publishing industry thinks that was that so. at Virago that you no it was a totally different publisher who oh. I ended up not going with but it was just the fact that an editor somebody had actually said it to you yeah so and then did you go and wait and actually write it at that point? Yeah, it is. Wow, oh I, so I got an agent, Bryony Woods, and she sort of like held my hand for the first draft and like I sent her chapter by chapter and she kind of corrected like homework. And uh, it was lovely. That's really nice. What was it like when the book came out initially in hardback? Was it last year? Only last year? It came out in, what, yeah, June 2018. Yes. Yeah, so it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, it's yeah. Just time disappeared. It's a real funny thing. Um, it's lovely. Yeah. Uh, because this thing that's lived in your head for so long and you yeah it really can't be overstated how long it does take <sighs> between like you writing the actual manuscript the various marketing machinations that have to happen it takes really so long what nobody does tells you though is that if you're a debut author and if any debut authors are listening to this and who are like really hopeful about their book coming out or whatever dial back your expectations about <laughs> 75 percent because here's what happens every bookshop in the country if they decide to order in your book, and there is no guarantee that they will, they will order in the hardback version if you are lucky enough to get a hardback, which I was and I'm very grateful for. Um, but because hardbacks are expensive and don't always sell well, this is important information, they don't always sell well, um, so they will order perhaps one or maybe two copies. <laughs> so you will walk into a Waterstones waiting for the display or the pile of books and then like you will have to look and find and eventually find maybe one copy and then you will have to watch that one copy for several weeks eventually it will go and then you will think because that copy has been sold more copies of the hardback will come in it will not they will um wait for the paperback to come out and they will base the selling of that one copy on how many <laughs> how many bloody paperbacks they order in and then by by kind of month seven of your hardback being out you will begin to question whether or not you ever wrote a book at all yep the only thing that will remind you that you ever had a book is like people occasionally tagging you on instagram right and that was actually the loveliest thing because i think and i think a lot of debut people have a lot of this problem where they have um, a couple of weeks when the first when the book comes out the publicist has been great they, they're on a few panels they have a few interviews in newspapers or whatever um, and then suddenly it all ends and then it's somebody else's sort of moment and you have to just be graceful and have to step aside and just be like there you go do you have any negative reviews there are a couple and oh, they don't seem to affect you though not really I mean they obviously did of course at the beginning they did everything affects you you're so vulnerable because yeah. you've put this thing out there um, but now, like, it never does, and the, the reviews are good, but it's lovely to watch as time goes past, it's like, oh, this isn't one of those books that people just, like, forget about, or just, like, isn't such about, like, this is growing, like, this is a thing that people are still passing from hand to hand, and, like, that's lovely. Do you ever get tempted to reply to any reviews, like, I mean, negative, although you haven't really had any, so, fuck you. No, I'm not, <laughs> no, don't, don't, uh, I have had them, I absolutely have, 
Um, but you don't seem to be bothered by it. I got really, like, obsessive really? about it. Yeah, I had, it was like having an ex-boyfriend on Facebook. Like, I had to eventually just sort of yeah. stop looking. Because I've got lovely reviews, mostly, but there are some very not nice yeah. good ones. Um, I, <laughs> the people, people saying, you know, it was overrated or they didn't like the um, tonal shift. Because the thing, the sort of catch with my book or whatever has been kind of marketed is that, like, it starts off as being quite like a Bridget Jonesy thing, and then it ends up being quite gothicy. It's kind of a bit of a body horror in there, um, and some people either love that or they hated it. Yeah, and that's like that's one of those things where like it's just an aesthetic thing that you can't control. Yeah, you, know? you just have to accept that. Yeah, but I think I thought because obviously been writing as a journalist for so long I just sort of assumed that um, it wouldn't affect you it wouldn't affect me because my yeah. journalist started it but I think there's this weird expectation as well when people are reviewing books they kind of have this idea that like what you've written you think is perfect and that you've put yeah. something out there that is you believe is flawless and fucking Charles Dickens or something and therefore you need to be taken down a little bit like I that think. is so true. They, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. No, and, like, um, I was having breakfast with my sister, like, two weeks ago, and we were talking about the book or whatever, and um, she sort of said, you know, and she kind of, you could tell she was really sensitive to it. She's like, you know, uh, the ending didn't really work for me. I was like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like, like, I don't know any author that hasn't kind of, after it's gone to the printer, has gone, oh, it's so weird because like you do for the first bit like you see all the flaws in it and you don't see any of the great bits that you were really proud of when you wrote or that your editor loved yeah. or whatever you just see the bits that you're like oh I can totally see the strings behind the puppet there you know <laughs> yeah um, and then after a while you just become very at peace with it you're like sure. yeah like that it. was my first book yeah and, so uh, have you written the new one the next one yeah so um, what's the deal there how much can you tell me oh well it's uh, yeah, I think I don't Everything. know yeah they never Give told me not to say it <laughs> um, we will now read from your yeah. manuscript <laughs> I'd like that actually but um yeah, it is a uh, murder mystery, kind of. It seems to me this is going to be the pattern with how I write, in that it begins like one kind of book and it ends like another. So it, the book opens and it's this um, 20-something and uh, she's living at home again because her father is dying. And it's one of those things where it's like she's really resentful because all of her friends are moving on to do really cool things. But because she's been like a carer for her dad for the last few years, her 20s haven't like kicked off. Gotcha. And it's a bit like, it feels very kind of like what at the beginning, like one of those sort of family dramas where we all learn something, you know? <laughs> um, but then what happens is, is that a murder mystery plot is thrown in right. and then it kind of becomes a thriller. Amazing. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. I also don't think it's any good yet. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm but, proud of how hard until, I've worked, I guess. somebody outside of your friends and family tells you it's good, it's shit. Yeah. It, Do you feel like that? Um, a little bit. Although, what's really nice about writing your second book is that even though your anxiety is higher, I don't know if you've heard this, oh, my anxiety was much, much higher about like because... The second album. Yeah, and especially when, like, um, I called my book Promising Young Women, and that led to a lot of reviews that were like, even if they liked her hit in the book, they're like, and it's clear from Dunhill's pro style that she's a promising she's a young voice show. indeed. <laughs> and it was like, writing, I didn't want to like let them down on that promise. Oh, I didn't want to be held to ransom over this promise that I had promised them. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh fuck, have I like shit the bed on my promise? But then what's freeing about that is that you realize, um, if, you, if you're working with a great group, and I am, I'm working with Sarah Savage, who's an amazing editor, and Virago, who are an amazing team, um, is that they'll catch the crap. Yeah, we'd hope they so. They will be the nappy on your shitty anus. <laughs> 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 the 
they will just catch that shit and like nothing like nobody will let you write a bad book if they can help it and that's a really yeah. good thing I suppose it is in their interest to make it it good is and successful yeah when is the second book out do you have a date for that yet and it'll be in 2020 at some point okay, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, but by promising young women in the meantime because it's fucking wonderful it's very good yeah oh, it's very very good please ignore all that stuff I said about uh, healing bits <laughs> it's a shitty ending yeah. don't read the end just read like 75% of it amazing thank you so much for joining me today Caroline and thank you everyone out there for listening please rate and subscribe if you have a minute bye Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com listen. Shopify.com listen.